It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. For nine episodes of this program, we have been discussing the will of God. That expression, the will of God, is used in the Bible in four different ways. God's sovereign will, His revealed will, and under the heading of the revealed will, I've affirmed that God has a will for individual believers. In this sense, I am a traditionalist. The book, Decision Making and the Will of God, written by Gary Friesen with J. Robin Maxson, opposes the concept of individual will and by contrast say that the emphasis is on God's moral will determined by his commands. In that regard, Friesen and Maxson are not traditionalists. I agree God does have commands we are to obey, and I am content to call that his moral will. The passage of 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 informs us, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I think I have given ample evidence to justify God's will for individuals, but allow me to refer to two other passages of Scripture that emphatically affirm the individual will. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, Moses said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. Abraham Isaac and Jacob made individual choices, and Moses is referring to individual choices in using the words your and you repeatedly. Joshua makes a similar plea in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15b. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua clearly is making a choice for himself and his family. And in using the word yourselves, 
Joshua is referring to others' individual choices. I think these two passages clearly refute Friesen and Maxim's opposition to the individual will. Nevertheless, despite my opposing their stance regarding the individual will of God, there is much to recommend their book. For example, their rendering of the moral will. Friesen and Maxon say, The teaching of Scripture may be summarized by these basic principles. First, in those areas specifically addressed by the Bible, the revealed command of God, His moral will, are to be obeyed. Second, in those areas where the Bible gives no command or principle, non-moral decisions, the believer is free and responsible to choose his own course of action. Any decision made within the moral will of God is acceptable to God. Third, in non-moral decisions, the objective of the Christian is to make wise decisions on the basis of spiritual expediency. Fourth, in all decisions, the believer should humbly submit in advance to the outworking of God's sovereign will as it touches each decision. I extend Friesen and Maxon's four principles by asserting that the believer's life should be governed by what I have called fundamental parameters. The Bible shows God's fundamental parameters concerning His revealed will for individual believers and that it is His children's responsibility to discover and operate by them. For the last several episodes, I have listed 11 of these fundamental parameters for God's overall will for individual believers in Christ. I think that stewardship is another parameter, and there may be more of them. If we order our lives according to those parameters, we can be confident that we are doing what pleases God. This gives us the leeway to choose between several options influenced by our own desires. We can call this area determined by God's fundamental parameters the area of freedom. Psalm 37 verses 3 through 5 applies to this situation. The Passion's translation is apropos. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in His eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure, feasting on His faithfulness. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life. and He will provide for you what you desire the most. Just as human fathers are pleased to grant blessings to their obedient children, even so is your heavenly Father ready to do the same for His obedient children. In any decision we make, who we marry, which house we buy, which job we take, which school or church we attend, etc., when we are operating by His parameters, God is pleased to grant us whatever we desire. Previously I said, quotes, to be able to discern the will of God rests on two fundamental facts. First, the reality of God's plan for us, uh, which is related to His will for us. Second, 
the ability of God to communicate that will to us. I have given sufficient evidence that God does have a plan for each individual believer. Now the question is, can God communicate his plan to us? Indeed, he can. As we are communicative human creatures, so our creator is a communicative God. God's ability to communicate his will to his obedient children is equivalent to him guiding us. The Bible has much to say about guidance. In particular, the Bible gives his promise for guidance. We know he made the Old Testament prophets know his will. In the four Gospels and Acts, we see that he guided Jesus and Paul. Acts also records several instances of detailed guidance, sending Philip to the desert to meet the Ethiopian eunuch, Peter being told to accept the invitation from the Gentile Cornelius, the church at Antioch being charged to send Paul and Barnabas as missionaries, Paul and Silas being called into the continent of Europe as the result of a vision, Paul being instructed to maintain his Corinthian ministry. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, one of my favorite scriptural verses, instructs us, quotes, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. End quotes. In Psalm 23, Verse 3, David proclaims the reality of God giving glory, quotes, for his name's sake, end quotes. Paul writes, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. It is impossible to doubt that guidance is a reality intended for and promised to every child of God. Christians who miss it show only that they did not seek it properly. It is right, therefore, to be concerned about one's own receptiveness to guidance and to study how to seek it. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we see that believers are to be imitators of God as dear children. You might respond that this is an impossible task, for God is infinite and you are only finite. But Paul adds the phrase, as dear children. How many men can remember when their dad was mowing the lawn and allowed you to walk holding on to the mower between your father's legs? It might have been more difficult for him to mow the yard, but he didn't mind because you were imitating the father and you were his dear child. Or how many women remember helping your mother make bread, standing on a chair with your mother's apron on? You got flour everywhere, but she didn't mind because you were imitating her, and you were her dear child. The Heavenly Father smiles when we are imitating Him by living a moral life, being loving, generous, a servant, a disciple, an evangelizer, an intercessor, and attempting to fellowship with him in prayer and worship. After all, you 
are his dear children. William Wordsworth wrote these words, quote, That best portion of a good man's life is little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and of love, end quote. Clarence Edward McCartney said this about Wordsworth's words, quote, I sometimes wonder just what Wordsworth meant by unremembered. Does he mean that these acts of kindness and of love are unremembered by the recipients of them or by the doer of them? I suppose it is the latter. That is undoubtedly what Jesus had in mind in the great judgment scene. There were those who apparently had forgotten some of the acts and deeds of mercy which they had done in life. For when he said to them, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. The righteous answered, Lord, when did we see you hungered and fed you, and thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king answered and said unto them, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it to me. How bitter and distressing it would be in the judgment to be confronted by unkind deeds that we had done and forgotten, but how pleasing it will be to be reminded of acts of kindness and of love which we have done and then forgotten, in quotes. Allow me to close this episode by giving my opinion regarding the upcoming presidential election. Many go on their way blissfully thinking that it is unimportant whether or not they vote. I do not understand how people who want to live by a biblical worldview, which opposes abortion, so-called same-sex marriage, and advocates only two genders. How can they thoughtlessly vote for candidates who support abortion, same-sex marriage, and many more than two genders? I do not understand how people who believe in the U.S. Constitution thoughtlessly vote for people who want to radically alter the Constitution. I do not understand how people who seem not to comprehend that in political matters we are often forced to vote for the lesser of two evils and think that by refusing to vote at all, they are doing the right thing. I do not understand how people who have a loyalty to a political party and continue to vote for candidates from that party without carefully considering their views and policies and have no idea how they will govern. This is my opinion, and I encourage you to think very carefully before you vote. 
Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.